0: excited about our summer series through the book of Proverbs. We can't wait to dig into that, the way of wisdom. I don't know about you, but we all need wisdom uh, during this time. Can I get a good amen? But before that, uh, we have one more message in our series through the book of Romans. And so that's where we are are landing uh, this morning. Grab your Bible, open it up to The end of this book, Romans, the greatest letter ever written. And in one sense, we are leaving the book of Romans and uh, this glorious gospel behind, but in another sense, we will never leave the book of Romans or this glorious gospel behind. This gospel will be part of every single message, every single week, no matter what book we are studying. And so uh, we've been here for six months, since the very beginning of January, and here we are at the end of June. And 25 sermons later, we have come to the end, so the title of my message today is The Last Dance. If you don't know, The Last Dance is the name of a 2020 American sports documentary miniseries co-produced by ESPN Films and Netflix. Uh, the series revolves around the career of Michael Jordan with particular focus on his last season with the Chicago Bulls, the 1997-98 season. The name of the film came from the fact that the owner of the franchise, Jerry Reinsdorf, had decided to go into a rebuilding phase of the organization. And so much of the team would not have their contracts renewed, including the coach, after the 1998 season was over. And so they knew this was their last year together uh, to play and to try to win one more time, and so they called this year their last uh, dance. The series uh, features exclusive footage from a film crew that had an all-access pass to the Bulls during their final season together, as well as Uh, interviews of many NBA personalities, including not just Michael Jordan, but Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Steve Kerr, Phil Jackson, and even politicians like Barack Obama. Uh, The series received critical acclaim with praise for its directing and its editing. And for many of us who lived through the Bulls dynasty back in the 1990s, um, this was a very enjoyable revisit down memory lane as we uh, fondly recalled those games that we watched and remembered all that they accomplished during their final season And their last dance. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, guests that are tuning into our uh, broadcast this morning, we are looking at the end of Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul's last dance, his conclusion to this very important letter. And here we're going to revisit some of the main themes that he's taught us throughout this entire series throughout this entire book that we have dug into together. It is just a magnificent section. Uh, we're going to see three different parts to this um, passage today. We're going to see Paul's heart for the mission. We're going to see Paul's heart for community, and we're going to, of course, see Paul's heart for the glory of God. There's lessons for the church back then in the first century, but there's also lessons for us today in the 21st century. So that's where we're headed. Uh, Grab your Bible. Let's dig in. Before we do that, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Right there at home, let's ask for God's help as we turn to his word. Dear God, thank you for preserving uh, this clear articulation of the gospel in this letter that we've enjoyed studying for these past six months. We have learned, we have grown, we have been challenged, and today I ask one more time as we open up this letter for the last time, may we now have ears to hear again, eyes to see again, most of all hearts to understand these final words from the Apostle Paul in Jesus' name for his reputation we pray, amen. Let me begin uh, this morning by drawing your attention to the word of the living God spoken through the Apostle Paul, chapter 15, verse 15, which says this, I have written you quite boldly, I'll say, on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. What was the grace God gave him? To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Let's pause right there. Notice we see Paul's heart for the mission, his concern for spreading the gospel. You'll remember that the word gospel had a military or political connotation back then. It was the good news about victory in battle. And often it was the good news about a new king who had Uh, come to conquer. And so back then, there was no way to communicate that kind of news. There was no CNN or Fox News. There was no uh, newspapers or email or social media. And so they would broadcast this news all around the world through someone called a herald. A herald would go proclaiming this news, that there was a new king. That is how Paul sees his own role in God's Magnificent plan. He is a herald. This is what Paul is doing. He is going out far and wide, announcing to everyone and anyone that there is a new king. His name is Jesus Christ. He's proclaiming this gospel wherever he goes. As I was watching that documentary, The Last Dance, they, they showed the announcer from the Bulls in the 1990s, Ray Clay, as he's introducing the Bulls team, and they begin their first game of their last season together. And, of course, he makes a really big deal out of it when he gets to MJ, right? Like, and now, from North Carolina, at guard, number 23, Michael Jordan. Ah, the crowd goes wild. Just like that, I think that's how Paul sees himself. He's going from place to place, Saying, and now, from the the town of Bethlehem, let me introduce you to the one that was prophesied long ago, the son of David, the Messiah, the one who has uh, the right to rule, the Alpha and the Omega, the, the bright and morning star, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the one who has done the impossible. Time after time, he died in our place for our sins, was risen from the dead, and you can place your faith in him alone. Now get up on your feet and show some love for the one and only great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Now that's Paul's mission. He wants to be a herald of this king, this, this Messiah. That's what he wants to do, to, to tell people who don't know about Jesus about this great gospel. Drop down with me to verse 23. He says this, but, but now there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to where? Spain. I hope to see you while passing through And to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. So here we see Paul, again, his passion is to spread the good news of Jesus to places who have not heard about Jesus yet. So he sets his sights on Spain, and he plans to stop by the church at Rome for a while and maybe take some people along with him to Spain as well as some resources with him and kind of make Rome a hub as he continues west to spread the gospel. He is a man on a mission, You know, the the beginning of that documentary, The Last Dance, opens with this scene. It opens with the young Michael Jordan, fresh out of college, uh, 1984. He's first drafted into the NBA, uh, onto the Bulls. They were not a very successful team, And, and he's given an interview, and he says this, I just want the franchise, the Chicago Bulls, to be respected as a team like the Lakers or like the Philadelphia 76ers or the Boston Celtics. It's very hard for something like that to happen, but it's not impossible. Hopefully this organization and this team can build a program like that. A Prophetic words from a young Jordan, which viewers watched come true over the next 10 episodes right before our eyes. In fact, in the final episode, the the late David Stern, who served as the NBA commissioner, is interviewed towards the conclusion of episode 10 and says this. In 1992, the NBA was in 80 countries. Now, the NBA is in 215 countries. Anyone who understands that phenomenon of that historical arc will understand that Michael Jordan and his era played an incredibly important part in it and advanced us tremendously. Friends, This is the heart of the Apostle Paul. The role that he played in bringing this gospel to a global stage and spreading this message worldwide, Paul single-handedly did more missionary work than anyone else on the planet ever. He is without parallel in the history of the church that's why paul goes on to say in chapter 15 verse 30 i urge you brothers by our lord jesus christ and by the love of the spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to god for me notice that word struggle there meaning his mission work his ministry work is not easy paul was tenacious his 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 biography is incredible he was arrested he was beaten he was tried he was stoned he was left for dead But he always said, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep going back out there and I'm going to keep on spreading this this news. He had a passion for his mission. You know, Those who played on the team with with Michael Jordan understood the struggle that he had. He was tenacious too. He had what was called a killer mentality. Uh, He was always willing to sacrifice, even sacrifice his physical body at times and play injured for the goal of winning. For example, there's this one scene uh, in The Last Dance which talks about the famous flu game Uh, that Michael played while sick against the Utah Jazz, which was really food poisoning, not the flu, by the way. And the team trainer, Tim Grover, explains the reasoning behind Michael's decision to play that game. He said Michael felt he had an obligation to the fans, to the players, and to himself. He said Michael's thinking was this. If you're going to sit down and take three hours out of your day to watch me on TV, then I have an obligation to give you my best to give you my best all the time. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans. Struggle with me. Give God your best with me all the time. Friends, how much more is this true in the church of Jesus Christ? This is Paul's heart for the mission. Can I ask you just very personally, do you have a heart for the mission like that? Is there, is there somewhere in your life where you're praying and struggling and working towards spreading the gospel? Let me put it this way. Where is your Spain? Where is that place in your life where you know people don't know and don't believe? For some of you, it's in your workplace. For some of you, Spain is, is even in your own family. How are you being like Paul and struggling and making plans to go to them and to share? I encourage you, to struggle even now for them. I want Millington Baptist Church to be the most evangelistic church in the area. I want us to be so evangelistic that I get... Comments from the community saying those church members there, they they are so bold about sharing the gospel. We don't quite believe them yet, but they are always asking us about Jesus and the gospel and our eternal destiny, and they're always loving on us in that way. I'd like to get some comments and emails like that because we all want to say along with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God unto salvation. So here we see Paul's heart for the mission. The second thing we see in our passage today is Paul's heart for the community. Romans chapter 16 begins chock full of personal greetings. The word greet is used 19 times. There's 33 different names here. And at first, this section of the book of Romans comes across a little boring. It comes across like, like when you see somebody give an acceptance speech at the Oscars and then they thank a bunch of people that we've never heard of. That's a little bit what this feels like to read that. But upon closer examination, this list can teach us some powerful principles. First of all, I think this is a demonstration of Paul's freedom. Paul knows he's not just a one-person team. Uh, he, he doesn't suffer from a Godplex, God complex, thinking if it's to get done, then it's up to me. See, part of the reason why Paul was so effective is he figured out how to build and function with a team. One of the episodes in The Last Dance talks about how in the 1980s, Michael Jordan was wildly successful on an individual level. Uh, I mean, he was, he was the slam dunk champion, uh, he was oftentimes the MVP, he was the defensive player of the year, uh, he had all kinds of accolades, the, the most points play, uh, scored in a playoff game, all kinds of individual records were being set, but yet his team had not yet won the NBA playoffs until they hired Phil Jackson, and until they started implementing something they called the triangle offense. That offense no longer revolved just around Michael. Instead, now he got to make the most of all of his team members, and and when they began to function as a team, they began to win championships. Here in Romans chapter 16, we see Paul's team. Now, I want to read some of these names, and I want you to just sit back and listen And as you hear their names, I want you to just let your imagination create pictures of these people in your mind. Just just imagine what they might have looked like. And and see in your mind their faces and listen to them laugh and feel their warmth as they greet one another here. Paul says this in chapter 16, verse 1. "I, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. A deacon of the church in Centre. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. He goes on to say, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Drop down to verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who's been a mother to me too. I just want to pause right there. Some of these greetings are like mini-biographies, tender words, leaving us wanting to know the rest of the story. Uh, For example, Rufus. Historically, we know, as his name shows up in the Gospel of Mark, which was also written to the church at Rome, by the way, was the son of Simon the Cyrene, the guy who carried the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, Mark actually mentions him in chapter 15. He says, Simon was the father of Rufus and Alexander. Alexander. Why does Mark mention that? Scholars say that that those were like ancient footnotes. It was Mark saying, if you want to verify this story, Rufus and Alexander are still alive. Why don't you go talk to them and ask them about it? Uh, Wouldn't you have loved to hear Rufus' version of that story about his dad? I guess that will have to wait till, till the big family reunion in heaven. But the church is like that, isn't it? The church is like a big extended family, Uh, this list of names at the end of Romans reminds me of that scene at the end of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Remember that scene where where George Bailey is there at the end and all of his friends and all of his neighbors and all of his co-workers just come to, to help him out. Remember that? It's amazing how connected that community was. That's how Paul is here. He's so connected to the people here at the church in Rome. We see this Church full of genuine, real, beautiful relationships. These greetings overflow with loving remarks. Paul uses the word beloved four times. He talks with admiration, thanksgiving, and reflection. Why? Because the church is an extended family. In these greetings, we hear about brothers, sisters, relatives. And Did you hear the tender reference to, to Rufus's mother who was also a mother to Paul? It's believed that Paul's natural family rejected him when he became a Christian And so she took him up. Let me say something to those of you watching today who maybe are empty nesters out there. After you raise your children, your role as mother and father may not be over yet. God may have other children for you to care for, even fiery apostles like the the Apostle Paul. In the church, your siblings are not limited to just those who you grew up with. The church is an extended family. That means you're never alone Because you have a large family in Christ. That's why the church is such a beautiful thing. The church is Christ's beautiful bride where redeemed, loved, filled men and women gather to worship God, grow in their faith, love one another, and share the good news of the gospel. There are two things we cannot do alone, says psychologist Paul Tournier. One is to be married. The other is to be a Christian. Because when you become a Christian, you join this extended family. The the second thing I want you to notice about this list is it's not just a family Did you notice how diverse this list is? We see both Greek names and Jewish names. For example, the two sisters in verse 12, Tryphena and Tryphosa, were likely slaves. But we also have greetings to those who come from Herod's royal house, rich and poor, slave and free. Did you notice that nine of these names were women? That's 35% of the list. In fact, the longest section here goes to a woman. You know, some people look at Paul And they say, oh, the Apostle Paul, he was such a misogynist. No, no, no. 35% of these names are women. The longest commendation here goes to a woman named Phoebe. It says she's a deacon in the church. Now, there's a debate as that term diakonos can mean the office of deacon or it can be a more broad term for being a servant, and so it's not clear. But what is clear is she played an important and crucial role as a leader in this early church. Now, I'm a complementarian, meaning men and women have equal status before God, but we have roles that complement one another. I think the scriptures make that clear in other places. But what's also clear here is that the Bible gives a wide range of leadership options for women in ministry too. Look at this woman, Phoebe. It says she's not just a deacon, she's a benefactor. That means she's Paul's financial supporter. And Paul acknowledges how unbelievably crucial her role in the early church is. She's given commendation. You know what that means? If someone was given letters of commendation or referral back then, that's because there was no telephone or email. You had to give commendation in the form of a letter. Now, why is Phoebe given Paul's commendation? All the commentators agree that she's the one delivering the letter. I want you to get that. Paul entrusts the letter to the Romans, the most important letter ever written, To a woman. We see the beautiful diversity in the early church. Friends, here's rich, poor, blue collar, white collar, women are featured prominently along with godly men all working together in the church. Romans 16 is one of the greatest illustrations of church unity in the midst of diversity in the whole Bible. This is why Paul is so very protective of this unity. This is why he wants to address a threat to this church's well-being. And so because of this, he writes verse 17. Now, Dr. Harrison in the Expositor's Commentary says, at this point in chapter 16, verse 17, the danger gripped Paul so powerfully that he felt urged to mention it at once. It may be that here, Paul took the pen from his secretary and wrote this final admonition himself. So I want you to imagine Paul taking the pen away from Tertius, his secretary, and writing the following warning. I urge you, he says, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Brothers and sisters, the greatest threat to the church, according to Paul, is not going to come from the outside. It's not going to come from a hostile government. It's not even going to come from an immoral culture. The biggest threat to the church of Jesus Christ are those who cause division on the inside. Bitterness, grumbling, contempt, judgmental attitudes, unforgiveness, gossip, pride, hatred, and factions have the power to destroy the work of God. And so the chief strategy of the devil is to drive a wedge between church members. In the book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis uh, writes about this as as he writes about the demon Screwtape who's advising his nephew, Wormwood, on how to destroy Christians. And he writes this, quote, if your patient can't be kept out of the church, he ought at least to be violently attached to some party within it. It's precisely those kind of issues and that kind of fighting that render the church ineffective. Now the day will come where we're not going to have to worry about such things, but now in this age and the church age we must be wise about what is good and innocent, not participating in what is evil. So we see Paul's heart for the community and let me just ask you, do you also have a heart for the community? Friends, I think this is exactly what our polarized world needs to see right now. The church is this new creation which transcends all boundary markers of race and ethnicity and gender that we're so used to seeing everywhere we go. Most social gatherings that the world has are divided up along the lines of affinity, race, creed, color, gender, social status. That's how the world divides things up horizontally. This is the problem with people who want to bring something called critical race theory into the church context. If the church is like that, then the world sees that kind of club and they go, that's typical. We've seen that before. But if you get a church which is diverse, multi-ethnic, Jews and Gentiles, male and female, whites, blacks, Asians, and Latinos, all worshiping together, all loving on one another. As chapter 15, verse 6 says, together with one voice glorifying our God and Savior, the world will see that and go, that's different. Now that's unique. I've never seen something like that before. This is Paul's heart for the community, and that should be our heart for the community as well. Point number three. We see in Paul's final section his deep passion and heart for the glory of God. Here at the end of this magnificent letter, we see all of his foundational theology has given way to an appropriately rousing doxology. Look with me at this amazing benediction. Paul concludes by saying this. Now to him who is able to establish you In accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Notice, he says, to him who's able to establish you. That word means to make you firm, to make you steady, to prop you up with a reliable support. It it means to provide a firm foundation underneath of you. You might remember that he used that same word in chapter 1, verse 11, as he began the letter, and it serves as a bracket at the beginning and the, the end of the book of Romans. This is Paul's heart for the Roman church and for us. This is why this letter exists. It was written that we might be established. We said on week one, the purpose of Romans is to encourage godly behavior by establishing its readers in a thorough understanding of the gospel. Friends, our entire country, our whole world is shaking right now during this COVID-19 pandemic. In the year 2020, everything around us that can be shaken is being shaken. Do you know that God and his gospel can establish you in any circumstance, even right now, that God can be a source of stability and strength for the believer that this world knows nothing about? Notice, this gospel here is not just for non-Christians, this gospel is for Christians too. 298 of the 433 verses in the book of Romans are written to explain the gospel to Christians. That means you need the gospel, that means I need the gospel, Uh, Pastor John Piper says it well. He says this, you never, never, never outgrow your need for this gospel. You don't begin the Christian life with this and then leave it behind and get stronger with something else. God strengthens us with the gospel to the day we die. And what is this gospel? Paul says this, it's this message that I proclaim. About who? It's the message about Jesus Christ. The book of Romans is primarily about one person, the person of Jesus Christ. It is all about him. He is the one promised beforehand through the prophets, chapter one, verse two, descended from David, declared to be the son of God, risen from the dead. He's the Christ, the long-awaited king of Israel, the one to fulfill all of the promises, the one who will set up his kingdom. Jesus is the one true son of God. Paul says in chapter nine, verse three, He is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. He is very God of very God. We worship Jesus Christ because he deserves all the glory as God. The word God is used in the book of Romans 153 times. And so Paul ends his letter and saves his last words for God. When it's all said and done, it's all about him. Paul says, I do all I do for him, to him be the glory forever and ever. Now, if you think about this theme of God's glory, this is not just a theme that Paul tacks on at the end of this letter. We've seen this theme throughout the book of Romans, haven't we? Remember chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says about the unbelieving world, for although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God instead chapter 1 verse 23 says they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible god for for images. And so Paul sums up the condition of humanity in Romans 3:23 saying for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the bad news, but the good news is that God because of his love still pursued a people for himself choosing Abraham and it says in Romans 4:20 but he, Abraham, grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God. And we follow in Abraham's footsteps. And so as it says in chapter 5, verse 1, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Even in tough times, chapter 8, verse 19, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. We learned in Romans chapter 9 that God has done all of this to make the riches of his glory known. Romans 11 says, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever and ever, amen. Paul has a passion for spreading the glory of God and brothers and sisters, we should too. When you see the word glory in the Bible, it means God's weightiness. It means God's infinite beauty, his greatness. It means all of his awesome perfection. To give him glory doesn't mean you add something to his glory. It means that's not possible. It means you acknowledge the glory that he has already as your highest treasure. Paul wants us to see God as glorious and to praise him as glorious. That's our highest purpose, right? Westminster says, What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You know, years ago, there was a revolution in science called the Copernican Revolution. They discovered that their model of the universe was like all wrong, they had thought for years that the earth was the center of the universe and that the sun revolved around the earth. Everybody thought this, but then they discovered that all of their calculations worked out a lot better if they just figured the sun was at the center of the universe, not the earth. This was a major paradigm shift for the whole world. Just like that, the book of Romans and the gospel is about a major paradigm shift for the whole world. We need to understand this about the world, namely that this world does not revolve around us. It's not about us. It's about him. This world revolves around God and everything works better when we acknowledge that. Romans is about a revolution inside of the human heart made possible because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is Paul's heart for the glory of God. This is Paul's greatest passion. As we wrap up the message today, let me share one more scene from that series, The Last Dance. In the documentary in in episode seven, Michael Jordan has the most emotional scene of the series as he reflects on his chief passion for being the best and being the best player and pushing his teammates to be the best team in the NBA. And with tears in his eyes, he says, winning has a price and leadership has a price. I wanted to win, but I wanted them to win and be a part of that as well. It is who I am. That's how I played the game. That was my mentality. If you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. Break. After this scene, Michael needed to go off camera to compose himself. He became so emotional because this is what he had given his entire life to at this point. Winning championships and being the best player in the NBA. Here at the end of the book of Romans, I want you to imagine Paul with tears in his eyes saying, this is how I live my life. This is how I live out my faith. This is my mentality, to glorify God through the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, one day Christ will receive all the glory he deserves. And one day the community that we're a part of will be completely whole. And one day the mission will be accomplished. But for now, Paul says there's work to be done. And one day it'll all be over. But we have work to do. And the good news is that this gospel is still alive. I encourage you, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, to give your lives to this mission as well. As the worship team comes up for one final song, let me just speak to you. If you're watching today and you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you've never accepted the gospel, which is what the book of Romans is all about, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. The gospel is simply this. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We could all take a rock and try to throw it from here to New York City. Some of us might throw it farther than others, but we would all fall short. That's the bad news. The worst news is Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's our wages. That's our paycheck for sin. Eternal death, separation from God. Not just physical death, which is a separation of the soul from the body, but spiritual death, a separation of the soul from God. That's the bad news. The good news according to the book of Romans is this, Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in our place for our sins, that he took our punishment and made that payment on the cross and that if we will only place our trust and faith in him, then he will make us right with God and we will spend eternity with him one day. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the gift. Now, not everyone receives that gift. You receive that gift by faith. By placing your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And so, as we end this message, as we end this series, uh, let me lead you in a prayer. If you need to pray that prayer and get things right with God and step over that line today, go ahead and do that right there where you are, right there where you're watching. Bow your head, close your eyes, and just pray with me inside of your own heart. Say, Dear Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. I repent of my sins. I ask you, Lord, to take my sins away. I ask for your forgiveness. I accept you. I place my trust in you and your sacrifice on my behalf on the cross. I want you to be my savior. I want you to be my Lord. And I ask that from the bottom of my heart. And for all of us, Heavenly Father, we have enjoyed this reminder of this glorious gospel where we could be reunited with you, where you've made a way for us to be in your family. And for us to glorify you with our lives the way you created us to be. Help us now as we finish this book and as we finish this series to continue on that journey of spreading a a passion for your glory everywhere we go. May you receive the glory that you are due for you are worthy of all of our praise. And we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.